Vinyl with Jason Warren and Kate Hensler, brought to you by Warren Music Pro and On Deck Integrated Communications. Hi, Jason. How are you? I am well. How are you doing? Splendid. Um, happy anniversary to Warren Music Pro. Open one year. Can I say boom? You can say boom. Uh, like boomage. Boom. Boom. Um, that's a really big feat. I'm really excited for you. And to have survived this far into COVID as a, as a music business. Surviving as a music business in general is impressive. Never mind during COVID. So congratulations. Muchas gracias, señorita. Oh, thank you. Um, so it's kind of fun that you're celebrating your anniversary because you own your own business. I own my own business. And I would say probably once a business quarter or so. I have uh, that moment that I think all business owners have of like, should I just uh, give up everything and just be a hermit on the countryside? Make some jam. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, usually when I have that moment, I look to music to get me out of that moment. And there was one time last summer that was particularly stressful. And I leaned on the music artists that we're going to talk about today, which I'm very excited about in Billy Joel. Um, I I went to the beach. I was like, I'm going to go to the beach, listen to some music, get myself out of this moment. And uh, I always listen to Vienna off of The Stranger to get me out of that moment. That song always just feels like a nice reminder to myself, a pep talk to myself in a way to, to remind me that everything's going to be okay. And then after listening to that song, I was like, man, this whole album is loaded. So I just sat on one of those giant rocks that's in the ocean (laughs) and I got sunburned because I just laid there and listened to that full album and uh I'm very excited to dig in into that today well yes I you know that album is one of those albums that's just so nostalgic to me the moment that moving out starts it's like it brings me back to being gosh I mean even probably five um, I know that my uncle actually, <laughs> oh, you can't make fun of me. But, well, you can, you can make fun of me. So my uncle gave me and my brother, we were sharing a room at the time, and he gave us his old stereo, which happened to have an eight track. Yeah. An eight yeah, track. it did. <laughs> yeah. And I remember my aunt had given me a bunch of Kiss uh, eight tracks. But one of my favorite ones was my uncle had given us The Stranger on 8-track. And um, I just listened to it until I was purple. Um, And it still, you know, when we were talking about talking about Billy Joel, um, I immediately was like, all right, we're going to talk about The Stranger. (laughs) Yeah, and it's, it's funny you have that nostalgic moment, too, because I... Growing up, again, we talked about it last episode, so much younger than you, like easily 75 years younger than you. But uh, seeing <laughs> seeing uh, the, the vinyl cover for The Stranger gives me so much nostalgia because we had a record player growing up and this and Dancing on the Ceiling by Lionel Richie are uh, the two that I remember the most and this iconic uh, vinyl cover, which has Billy Joel just looking at this mask on an unmade bed. And it also has 
boxing gloves in the corner of it, which I learned in my research for this episode that he took a boxing to ward off um, bullies. So there's just like this very simple, very powerful image. And that was Billy Joel to a T to me. Um, you know, we were texting earlier this week and you and I were talking about just his authenticity. And I said, man, I don't really think of Billy Joel's technical prowess when I think of his music. I think of these incredibly honest performances. And you said, well, I actually do think of his his <laughs> technical ability. And I was like, certainly it's there. But the, the thing I take away is just that it's dripping in honesty. But yeah. um, as someone that has listened to his music and you've performed it a few times too, um, if you want to speak to just technically what a good musician he is too, because I feel like that almost gets lost in, in this catalog. Oh, it definitely does. I think that the majority of I sort sort of lay people, I guess you could say like non-musicians, um, there are a lot of funny things that um, are general opinion of people. Uh, one of them I always find funny is is when people talk about how, you know, we talked about the Beatles last week and how simple it is, to, uh, how simple the Beatles songs are. And I always laugh because I'm like, uh, no, 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 they're not. <laughs> <laughs> hard, hard pass to that idea. No, yeah. they are not. And another one I think is just that, you know, Billy Joel is just, you know, has, you know, his voice isn't technically, um, you, you know, uh, amazing. It's more just, uh, you know, he's just a great songwriter. And, you know, you talked, yes, I've performed a bunch of his songs and I've tried to perform a lot of his other songs. And there are some, you know, Piano Man, I think is, is you know, it's not only his best example, I think if you don't know a lot about Billy Joel, you still know, you know, you still know Piano Man. And uh, there's an example of, you know, I remember the first time I tried uh, to perform that, I was like, this is really, really hard. <laughs> This is real hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's got a crazy range. Um, and I've seen him. I've been lucky enough to see him a couple of times and he nails it still. I mean, what is he's in his seventies or, or near. And, um, he is, you know, <laughs> he's just as spot on as he probably was 50 years ago. Um, so yeah, that that's definitely I even even my own self. I think, you know, we I we have these uh, preconceived notions or, or perceptions of, you know, who's a good songwriter, who's a technically good singer, who's a technically good guitar player, and you know, I think that much like Prince with guitar, where you know there are plenty of people that don't even. There are plenty of people that probably don't even know that he played guitar. Um, and anybody who's really dug into his catalog and really, you, you know, uh, again, I was lucky enough to see him perform as well. You realize not only did he play guitar, but he's one of the best guitar players ever. Um, did you and, ever hear that Aaron Clapton story where somebody asked him how it felt to be the best guitarist in the world? And he said, I don't know, ask Prince. I have. And, <laughs> And what a perfect example. Yes, I, I love it. Um, and, you know, I think that Billy Joel is one of those from a technical uh, vocal perspective that I think he fits in there, too. Um, it, it, he's got quite an extensive range. It's it's pretty it's pretty incredible what his range is. And, you know, like I said, the the, the fact that he's able to to still perform it, you know, I'm sure it's not at 100 percent. 
But from recordings I've heard of even recent live performances, it seems like he's up at 85, 90 percent. Um, and and that's pretty that's pretty intense because I'm pretty sure if I if I had to perform Piano Man right right now, I'd probably bring it down a step or two. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you hit on something really important um, in reference to the Beatles and with Billy Joel. There's a misconception, I think, that when something sounds so effortless and simple that that means it's easy to (laughs) play to perform to write um but that's that's just not the case and sometimes i feel like it's it's probably the other way right you can you can speak to it from a composition perspective but um i think the more effortless something is it's because you had to work really hard to make it that effortless yeah i think we all look at people that we admire um, and it's, it's interesting because I think we all go through this thing where we look at people that we admire and, you know, especially if we are able to see videos, we just, we sit there and we go, that looks so easy. You know, everything looks so easy. And typically I think from a vocal standpoint and you and I as teacher and student have talked about this a million times, but we approach it the opposite for a long time. Um, and it's a very interesting thing because I don't know why we do that because we, we find this person that we admire and we watch them perform and it seems like this effortless thing. Um, and when we approach it ourselves, we, you know, we've talked about this, we tighten up and we ball up and we, we try to just squeeze it out. And, um, obviously that never works. And, you know, over time we start to realize, wow, that effortlessness comes from years and years and years and years of basically training our bodies and our instincts to do the exact opposite of what we think they should be doing. Yeah, I love that you said we've talked about it a million times. We've talked about it like an hour and a half ago. So <laughs> true. <laughs> that's yes. how much it comes up. Um, so it, because Billy Joel the technical prowess does get lost on people. It's because they lean into something that is still incredibly important with his music, which is just the, the authenticity that is woven in every aspect of what he does from melodies to harmonies, to instrumentation, just dripping with authenticity. And, um, you know, it's, it's such a, it seems like such a direct translation between his real life experiences and what he kind of illustrates in his music the Stranger is certainly uh, a crystal clear example of that. But if you just want to speak to that as a composer about um, how important it is to write from an organic place, because that's what turns out these emotional connective tissues that your audience can kind of grasp onto. Yeah, what I admire about him is it's authentic, but he's also very fearless in in his writing. Um I think that for a New York, you know, a Long Island guy and just such a typical man's man, when you see him interviewed and um, when you hear about some of the things that have happened to him in his personal life, um, just that vulnerability, the ability to, um, to allow people to basically see his heart. I mean, he's written some of the most amazing love songs you know i think about like she's always a woman or just the way you are like those you know those are songs that 
I have a feeling that if they had come to me, I don't know if I would have the courage to show that side of me. And I know that I feel like I've done that in moments where I've really purged true emotions without without trying to hide them with big words or or you know a metaphor or something and um i basically scrapped it because i was so <laughs> i guess maybe almost fearful of people seeing my vulnerability and i think that that is one of the most incredible things is not only is does he truly in my opinion purge uh, like you said, real life experience and emotions through his music, but he's able to show his anger, show his love, show his sadness, show his his humor, show his um, his excitement, his happiness. I mean, everything, and he doesn't seem to be very fearful of allowing everybody to have just a, a clear pane of glass looking right into his soul. And, th- and that's, that's very admirable. It's so funny you mentioned she's always a woman and um, just the way you are, which are both on this album. And it triggered the lyric, I don't want clever conversation. I never want to work that hard. It's like, that's such a perfect, it's done in a romantic context in this song, but it alludes so much to what you were just saying of he's not someone even when he's billy, being illustrative billy illustrative billy joel um even when he's being, i think the, i think the proper word is billustrative billustrative yes. even when he's being billustrative um or takes on kind of this um more storytelling approach uh it's it's not to disguise anything like piano man you are in that bar the stranger you know exactly who the stranger is like there's there's so many um it seems from an italian restaurant my goodness that's a story um but it's it's not done to there's nothing flowery about it there's nothing overkill about it it's still it's still people that you know it's still pieces of him it's still places that you've been in this in this really accessible way so even when he's not speaking directly like from a first person perspective or directly from his experience it's all still like enveloped with this really beautiful familiarity that it's just like you just want to put it on (laughs) you just want to wear these albums they're so good yeah and you know to go back to uh piano man that may be at least for me because it's the most relatable um you know, you talked about, you know, feeling like I, I mean, every time I hear that, I feel like it's 1970 and I'm in a bar uh, about the size of this studio <laughs> and there are, you know, the same 10 or 15 people that are just there every single night and I'm playing the same songs um, and, it, it, you know, uh, just feeling like this is it for me. And it's amazing. Um you know, it, I don't, I think it's accidental um, because I think that it seems to me that when he wrote that, that he was simply really just thinking, this is it. This is, this is Billy Joel. This is the life of Billy Joel. I'm going to be here in Long Island for my whole life playing at piano bars and, you know, 
uh, putting a tip jar at the end and hopefully, hopefully making my rent. Um, and you know, I think it accidentally shows, shows his perseverance when we look at it now in 2020 and you think where he got to, um, from where he was at that moment. Um, and I think it's, it can, it could be inspirational to, to any musician at any time in history. Um, because I don't think there's a, you know, a musician in the world that has tried and worked hard that hasn't expired, experienced that feeling where, you know, you may have been at some point so excited to get whatever gig it is um, and how quickly it can become like, this is it. (laughs) Yeah. And he, um, you know, even in his career, Cold Spring Harbor kind of flopped, which was his, I think, first record that he produced under contract and he got dropped and it wasn't until Captain Jack, which was a bootleg underground effort, um, put him back on the radar that uh, things started to to kind of turn for him again. And part of why Cold Spring Harbor flopped was he was just having, you know, butting heads with producers, common things like that. And then um, to have the willpower to just be like, fuck it, uh, I'm going to do this bootleg thing. And then that catching fire, it's like, yeah, artists know who they are. <laughs> Yeah, and an interesting thing, have you, have you listened to Cold Spring Harbor? I have. I actually really like it. It's great. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it, that's that's one of those things that I'm have, I have a feeling we'll mention probably about 43,000 times during these episodes is um, people get so caught up in, in numbers, um, sales numbers. I'm sure you've had that argument where this band sucks. No, this band's good. No, this band sucks. And, you know, their argument is, well, they sold 122 million copies. And, you know, and that one didn't, you know, didn't sell any copies. And, or, you know, and I think that Cold Spring Harbor, and there are so many examples of this where it's like, well, the consumers were incorrect. (laughs) Because time... Uh, corrected that and I think um, you know people look back now and go wait a minute that was a really great album and and just because something wasn't purchased or didn't sell you know X amount of copies doesn't mean that it's not a great piece of art yeah and for some reason that seems to be a bigger constraint in music than other mediums I feel like it's it's I don't think anybody thinks Big Bang Theory is like a high level art <laughs> like artistic I don't think the cast would tell you it's like the most highly artistic piece that they've ever acted just because it happened to be consumed like across the board extremely successfully um but music that always seems to be more of an argument than other art forms I did want to circle back to something you said about Billy Joel expressing sadness and happiness and heartbreak and humor and all of these things it kind of piggybacks off of our discussion about genres and that putting restraints on this was something I was thinking about as I was listening back to this album because even within this album there's so much diversity that you know if you set out to be an indie band or a pop punk band you said it on the last episode like if you tell me you're an indie band I know what you sound like already (laughs) and I think that can that can be detrimental in this way too where it's like oh 
I'm Jason Mraz. I got known for doing these plucky happy songs. I'll never release an album in the winter. All my releases are going to be summer releases because I write, I write feel good music. It's crap, <laughs> right? And I think that's something that Billy Joel throughout his entire career, because we do see so many sides of him. It's always him. It's never really disconnected from him entirely, in my opinion. Um, but that's so important. I think when you, when you kind of ditch this idea of genres, you're also saying, I'm, I'm not only writing whatever sounds are coming out of me right now, I'm writing whatever feelings are coming out of me. And if it happens to be happy or sad, whatever. And, you know, to speak, to speak further on that, I mean, I think that he is one of the best examples. Uh, if you even want to talk about style, um, here was a guy that very obviously came from a position where he's a piano, he's a piano man, just like the song says he, was a guy that sat at the piano and wrote songs. And I think that his career went on like that for a while. And I think a lot of people have misinterpreted what happened in that early 80s period. Um, you know, um, you know, I remember during that period, a lot of people saying, oh, he's selling out, or what is he doing? You know, but the way I looked at it is, you know, he, you know, when we do the same thing and we write the same way and we write with the same instrument and there are periods where it kind of starts to feel monotonous. Um, and I have a feeling that he was going through a period where he was embracing and rekindling his love for that early rock and roll. Um, and it's amazing because if you listen to some of those, you know, early to mid eighties albums, I mean, they're, there's so much like sort of almost Elvis, <laughs> you know, Absolutely. infused in that. Um, and, you know, like I said, everybody wants to have an opinion. And, and um, but when I when you when you think about the timelessness of some of those records still today, um, I I look at it as he was just sort of riding the wave. And that go that speaks again to what you were saying about, you know, genres. I'm an you know, I'm an Indian or indie artist or or like you said, I write feel good music. Um I I feel like you know, one of the things that strangely allowed Billy Joel to maintain a career for so long is that he wasn't afraid to just let the wave take him. And if he started moving closer into the world of you know rock and roll and guitar music, and a little bit further away from uh, piano ballads, etc., um, he just allowed it to happen, and it worked its way back. Because you know if you get back to you know we, we think about like Stormfront, that era that was like eighty six, eighty seven. Now you know he's got an album where it really sort of came back to home, where you could tell that he's back to the piano and. Um, and seeing where it goes from there, um, and and I think that that's uh, it, it, that again. And we'll probably speak about this almost every week, but that um, that desire to never be in a box. You know, I don't think he's ever put himself in a box. As a matter of fact, I think that if he's doing anything, he's constantly seeing what in what ways can I be released, continue to be released from a box, and continue to to not have preconceived notions and continue to allow the music that's coming to me to just come out in the most natural way that uh made me think of chuck klosterman has two books that are 
series of essays that he has written over various publications. He's one of my favorite writers. And he wrote a book called Four and a book called Five. And I can't remember which one this was in because they're both fantastic. But Billy Joel, in one of his interviews, it's it's painted kind of sadly, but he says, you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame doesn't go to bed with you at night. Like, his, and he specifically was speaking to his desire for love. But to me, that was just such a reminder of just like, he's not phased by industry at all like he's he's one of the most successful musicians and he's still thinking about like his love life kind of <laughs> like it's always such a, a direct translatable human experience with him yeah well you know the more i see and you know interviews and hear about things that he's said and done you know i think for him being um such a real and authentic um composer may stem from being a real and authentic person. Um, and there's the perfect example of that, you know, to go back to what I was saying before about being fearless, how many, you know, macho men, especially, you know, are going to say something like that. The rock and roll hall of fame doesn't go to bed with you at night. And, you know, again, being vulnerable and being able to say, Hey, I'm, I just, you know, we all, want and desire and need love um but it is it can be again a courageous thing to come out and say it and you know like you said and not to to not apologize or um or or even have any shame about it which is i think one of the most incredible things about him you used a word earlier timelessness and i think that's what such unbridled authenticity gets you. That's what gets you selling out MSG, a residency every month because you don't get sick of listening to those songs. And I think about things like Vienna, which I didn't learn until after was about reconnecting with his estranged father. Like that doesn't, that's not how I connect to it at all. I love my dad. I've known my dad my whole life. He rules. Um, <laughs> but but it's still something I connect to so um intensely like there's just such an immediate emotional connection there songs like laura which was about his mom which kind of reads like a tortured lover in a lot of ways but it was really just kind of about his mom annoying the hell out of him like everybody's mom does from time to time um but i i think that's when you're writing about and to the emotion more than a circumstance that you're trying to retrofit it also lets the listener put their own interpretation on it and bring their own experience into it because what you're presenting is so raw that they're like, I connect to this and then I can kind of almost project my own experience on it. And I think that's so beautiful. I think that's what makes music so human. Um, and it, it, he just continually does it. And it's it's so impressive to me. Yeah, I think that you literally just described that in a better way than I could have um, and from a writing perspective I think that um, I think that, that I I know that's the trick um, <laughs> and sometimes it's so hard to know if we're doing that you know and I I, th I think that you know we're always thinking about because you and I have both heard, you know, the one song from 1983 that sounds like, oh my gosh, I never want to hear this again because it reminds me of 1983. 
And then the other song right next to it that was from 1983, that if it came out today, it would be just as interesting and you know maybe even just as as popular as it was and that's where that word timeless comes in and when we're writing it's you know always in the back of my mind but um you know it, it seems to be on one hand the easiest thing well i just have to be real and i just have to be authentic and i just have to allow myself but when we're in that process, um, there are so many things that pop in and out of our head that we don't necessarily want to. Um, and it, it it is so unimaginably difficult sometimes to, because basically what the goal is, right, is to get rid of every single possible thought and just feel and feel and, and ride the wave. Um, and yeah, I mean, like I said, the way you described that, absolutely perfect too. Because if I am feeling, uh, you're going to relate. And I think it is natural. It's just like when we talk to our friends. If you came to me and you said, I broke up with my boyfriend. Um, I don't know what it's like 100% to be Kate. Or to be your now ex. <laughs> um, or any of the situations that went on. But I do know what it's like to be broken up with. Um, and the if I'm going to be a good friend, the only way I can do that is uh, obviously to listen, but also to um, connect to you through my own experiences. And I think that is when you have somebody pouring their emotions out onto a record um that's what we are as listeners it's almost like we're we're that friend and it is just it's very normal and automatic for us to go well you know like you had said well i can't relate to him having issues you know reconnecting with his dad because i have a great relationship with my dad but it's amazing how quickly we are able to because we still know how that pain feels we can feel and we can hear the pain and we have experienced pain in our own ways. Maybe, like you said, not with the relationship with our father, but in, in any million different possibility of ways, uh, we have felt that. And um, that is that is the goal. And I will always be asking, you know, how, how do I get there? And I love that, too, because you hear stories, too, of people that write, you know, love songs that people play at weddings. And you find out later that the artist actually wrote it about their kid. But it's you're still talking about pure love, right? Like, if you're leading with the emotion, there's something connective there. And I think, talking about The Stranger, I'm just going to read the track listing so that everybody knows exactly what we're dealing with that's uh, <laughs> listening to this. Uh, it starts off with moving out. The Stranger, Just the Way You Are, Scenes from an Italian Restaurant, and moves on to the B-side on vinyl, uh, to Vienna, Only the Good Die Young, She's Always a Woman, Get It Right the First Time, and Everybody Has a Dream. And just in this album alone, the ways he accomplishes that, 
this vulnerability that we talk about being the connective tissue um, in arrangements and lyrics and melodic prowess on this. I mean, my goodness, just this album to me from front to back is perfection. And um, even, even lyrically, there's uh, storytelling from different perspectives. There's characters, there's him just speaking about, you know, his love for a woman. Um, there's Brenda and Eddie. There's so many devices within the devices that music gives you, right? We have arrangements, melodies, and lyrics. And even within those, there's all this added, all these added layers of storytelling that go on here. Um, do you have any favorites from this album? I would have to say she's always a woman. Um, you know, I spoke a little bit about it before about his fearlessness uh, the thing that <laughs> I have never written a love song. Now, as you know, most of my music kind of veers a little bit closer to metal. Um, but, you know, again, it's not like I sit down and you know plan on that. Um, and I shouldn't say I haven't written a love song. I've never released or recorded <laughs> a love song <laughs> because every time I've, attempted it i i take a look at it and you know i there's like this you know this shame thing it's a very very strange it's a macho thing again where it's like you know i'm i'm so afraid to do that and you know i think billy joel more than most performers that i admire he writes these love songs that i'm not even kidding i can very rarely at this age i can very rarely get through them without tearing up and she's always a woman is one of them it just seems um he feels love in such a powerful 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 way um that i think a lot of us can can relate to that um and again he he's just uh the the way he is able to um, express it without being cheesy. You know, you've heard me say a million times, I love cheese on my hamburgers, <laughs> but get it out of my music. Um, and, you know, I think we may have touched on this, and if we didn't, uh, you know, it's I've always felt this way about the Beatles. Um, and Billy Joel is another one where it's, you know, he, they walk that line where if they took one more step, you'd probably be in Cheesyville. And then I wouldn't even pay attention to the record. Um, but, you know, they're able to walk right up to that line where it is not cheesy. It's not over the top. It's like exactly what I want. It's exactly what I want to relate to. It's exactly what I want to feel. Um, you know, a lot of the fantasies almost almost that he creates, uh, like you said, with the characters and the scenes that I can basically see with my own eyes when I hear his lyrics, um, a lot of times it's like, I want to be there. I, I, I want to be, I want to hang out with Brenda and Eddie. Come on, let's, let's do it. Uh, particularly on this song too, you're, you're so right because she's always a woman. I'm like, not only have I met this woman, I know all of her complexities, like kind of immediately. It's really cool. And that's just something he's so good at is putting you in that world. And it's, 
It's funny, we were talking about uh, how my dad rules a minute ago, and he does. Um, I have a very specific memory of me driving in the car with him, and we were listening to this local artist, and uh, there were lyrics about how he would walk a million miles just to look into her eyes. And my dad just was like, you know, that's... I don't, I don't know if he realized he was teaching me a lesson at the time, because I was only, I think, 13 or 14. But he was like, that's not love. He was like, take a plane if you need to look into her eyes. That's not what love is. And I, I never heard another love song the same way again. It's so funny. It was such an instant disconnect from 90% of the love songs that I ever heard when he he said that. And um, there's some, you know, Billy Joel's really good at it. In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel Ugh. forever will make me fall in love with him. Like, <laughs> But it's it's... When you talked about the cheese on your hamburgers and not in your songs, I, I think of that moment so, it's so vivid to me because so much of the love songs that I used to sing or listen to as that 14-year-old girl, I couldn't even at 14 listen to on, on the radio anymore because I was, he, him and my mom have been together since they were very young and they've been through a lot and uh, I've gotten to witness this awesome example of love as their daughter but like for him to just point out like that's just not what love is it, it really makes you go back and and re re-question everything <laughs> like I'm like oh right like this is this is a fairy tale this isn't real and then you listen to something like she's always a woman and you're like oh god he just he's so in love with her <laughs> he's so in love with everything that she is it's so beautiful yeah um, and you know that moment, you know, when you're talking about this other song, um, I in a lot of ways I think, you know, it it starts with, you know, why they sat down. You know, the artists that wrote this over the top, cheesy line that your dad was very easily able to go, ugh, <laughs> you know, they sat down to write a song about love. You know, whereas when Billy Joel sat down to write She's Always a Woman, he had to sit down. He had to. Yeah. And he had to get rid of this. And, it, you know, I think that, you know, and what's interesting is for <laughs> for almost a century, the unfortunate reality is that a lot of those inauthentic, uh, over-the-top, um, real. I was gonna say expressions, but not even expressions. Just you know, formulaic, manu yeah. manufactured songs. You know, they do get a lot more intent attention than sometimes I I wish and or that I wish they would. And you know, it, it feels you know I always feel like I'm some sort of pretentious like you know whatever because you know like I really know, but. <laughs> You know, it, it seems really easy to me because I, I feel like it's as easy as, as it was for your dad to just go, what, you're full of shit. I don't want to hear this anymore. Um, but, you know, when you listen to uh, to She's Always a Woman, there I don't think that there's a possible way that you can feel that. And I love, you know, one of the most incredible things about that is <laughs> it's one of the few love songs where he talks about her flaws the whole so song much. is basically about her flaws so you many know. contradictions within her too like i love that 
Yeah. Um, and I also love that this song, if I remember correctly, and I listened to it not that long ago, but I think it's just him and the piano, right? I don't think there's any additional like percussive elements or anything else that really comes in. Very little. Yeah. Very little. I think there's a little bit of production stuff in there, but not, I mean, not much. And I know when I saw him, he performed it like that, where it was just him sitting at a piano. And that was, of course, one of the moments because, you know, I've done some acoustic performances and that is, um, I, I truly, truly admire because again, and I think we talked a little bit about this last time, you know, if you can sit down at a piano or sit down with your guitar and you can just sing and play and there's nothing else, no bells and whistles or anything like that. And it can be that moving. I mean, what is a more beautiful expression than that? Yeah. And it, it almost puts an exclamation point on what you were saying about um, that. He just had to sit down at the piano and write it when you just leave that alone for the most part. Like, that's just so beautiful to me. And I love that this song is back-to-back with Get It Right the First Time. Because I feel like um, Get It Right the First Time, what what I love about it, other than everything, but the thing that drives home for me is, like, the very gutsy arrangement kind of underneath everything. Like, there's just yeah. this really cool rhythmic, rhythmic stuff going on, and it's, like, a little heavier. You could see someone doing, like, a kick-ass metal cover of that or something. Like, Ooh, that's an idea. That's Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Like there's there's such guts under that song, and for that to follow up something as as beautiful and simplistic as she's always a woman, that like to me those being back to back just shows you the depth of this whole album. Um, it's really incredible, and to end it on everybody has a dream is just such like this this beautiful statement to me. Um, well, there's a lot of darkness through the album. Yes, and I mean. There's kind of a macabre, even in the songs that are more positive. Even She's Always a Woman, which is a beautiful song about love. And um, I, there's pretty much a positive uh, a message throughout it. But there's just, I feel like, and in, in this is something I've always been, you know, uh, attracted to in any form of art is macabre i just have always enjoyed that and i feel like there's this um macabre kind of feeling throughout the entire record and everyone has a dream is kind of like it kind of releases you from it a little bit right at the end of the record (laughs) yeah i it's a really emotional listen for me like it it really is it's it's never something that i just throw on ever because it's it's not that kind of listen for me um, from front to back. And there's certainly, like, scenes from an Italian restaurant you'll just hear, right? But, like, yeah. I, I sit down and listen to this album because I know I'm going to... It's going gonna, it's gonna to bring up some real emotion for me. Um, and even, like you were saying, and she's always a woman, he calls her casually cruel in it. Like, <laughs> there's not, like... There's nothing on here that doesn't, even the positive stuff, and this is what I love with Everybody Has a Dream being the closer to it, it all still has weight to it. Like, even even the relief is because there was some weight contrasting it. And what I love about Everybody Has a Dream is 
you know, he talks about that, you know, his dream is staying at home with you. You know what I mean? Like yeah. everybody has a dream doesn't mean like I'm going to make it someday and whatever. Like it, it, it doesn't have to be that much, but he's, he's just saying that everybody has this dream. Everybody has a dream. Um, and there's no minimizing that at all. And I, to, to close the album, like you said, on something that has a little more optimism to it. Um, but to me is still very grounded in this, um, you know, your dream can be just going home with someone that you love at the end of the day is, is so beautiful. And it, it's what differentiates itself to me to, I hate to, I always use this as an example and there's really a lot worse songs out there, but like fight song by Rachel Platten that this is my life song. Like, it's fine. <laughs> it does what it does. It's been synced in a million commercials and for a million fundraisers for things. It's great. But like, it, it means so much more to me to have um, everybody has a dream being so rooted in, in reality and not just this like rah-rah, go-go thing. And you're right. It comes on the back of what's an otherwise dark album. Like the song, The Stranger is a perfect example about um, that we all know this stranger who's not really a stranger, right? Oh, my goodness. And, you know, I, I think that that's what's interesting. I like to look at albums conceptually, even if they're not necessarily a concept album. And I think that Billy Joel does a great job of that uh, because I don't think he does it on purpose. I think that, again, because of his authentic and just um, organic writing process, that he is where he is in life at that moment. Um, and that's what comes out through the record. And, um, I, you know, the entire thing doesn't feel very optimistic about love. And I think that there are things that you can read into about The Stranger. Um, I think The Stranger is interesting because I think it's a little bit more metaphoric metaphorical than then uh, you know we were talking about how fearless he is about just wearing his emotions on his sleeve i think the stranger itself the song has so many layers to it you know um and you know that also it, you know i think comes from a place of love too you know is he talking really just about you know this woman that he's living with or that he loves um and, you know, uh, like, for instance, I'm sure you've experienced this, you know, you move in with somebody um, and you start seeing a side of them that is just like, who in the world is this person? And um, it doesn't come out and say that that's what he's talking about, but that's kind of at times what I what I feel when I'm listening to it. Absolutely. Um, and I the the melody and the instrumentation on this, they, they really drive that home to me. Like I, I love the whole tone and the feel of this whole song makes you feel kind of like you got kind of got hoodwinked that you got bait and switched a little bit. Um, and some of the, like you said, this is like a little bit more of a story. Um, but just some of the lyrics on this about, uh, two people caught in the tide on the edge of love and pride and both afraid to approach the side and to fall again is just like, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> like this this whole um, story that he tells is, is just one that is so familiar. 
Yes, yes. Very, 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 very familiar, I think, to anyone. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's... Any of the characters that he paints are still ones that you know in your daily life. It's pretty pretty impressive. Um, and just to look at the amount of kind of hits that emerged from this album, too. Uh, Moving Out, certainly. Um, the Stranger, Just the Way You Are, Scenes from an Italian Restaurant, all kind of hits. Um, Vienna, I think, is kind of the sleeper. And as usual, my favorites are always the sleepers. Yeah, Vienna, I think, you know, She's Always a Woman, I'm pretty sure, was a big hit as well. Absolutely. Only the Good Die Young. Only the Good Die Young. Just a few people. Yeah. (laughs) And then, yeah, I guess uh, Get It Right the First Time and Everybody Has a Dream are kind of buried back a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, they were, you know, you have to be a Billy Joel fan to to hear those tunes. Um, Which, you know, which which speaks to something that I hope that... uh, the young generation of music listeners will begin to realize is, um, you know, like for instance, Vienna, um, back in you know, 1977 or even 1980 or even 1982. Um, if you wanted to hear Vienna, you had to go out and you had to buy the stranger. Um, I don't remember at least often hearing it on the radio. Um, and it's an amazing song and he has so many of them. Where you look at the album and you go, hit, 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 hit. And you go, oh, wow, I've never heard that. Oh, that's the best song in the album. <laughs> should have been, should have been, should have been. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like um, the, the Nylon Curtain, I always think of Scandinavian Skies. My yeah. word. Yeah. What a song. What an album and what a song. Oh, well, yeah. That's a whole other amazing, incredible album. Uh, talk about taking chances. I mean, what even was, I mean, that was like, you, you know, it, it there was like this incorporation of of um, of uh, psychedelic Beatles era almost into it. Um, it was um, it was modernized uh, in the, in the fact that he was he was uh, experimenting with these more modern um, synths. Uh, and what I love, I think there are a few albums. I think that Brothers in Arms by Dire Straits, which I think is around the same similar time. And are two albums that were, yes, they experimented with some of the modernization of the music that was happening in the 80s, but they were able to do it in a way where it's still timeless. I can still put on Nylon Curtain and play the record all the way through and not go, oh my God, this is so 1985 or 86 or whatever year it was. Uh, I can still do that with uh, um, Brothers in Arms by Dire Straits. Um, and I, you know, we've talked about Timeless a couple of times that what a trick that is. Right. Um, because so many people at the time and I we do this at every moment in history where we think, well, there's so much new technology. We have to use it. We have to use it. That's going to make us better. That's going to make us ahead of, you know, the curve. Um, and there are so many moments. I think the 80s is unfortunately probably the worst. Um, <laughs> And, and that's, I think, one of the biggest reasons why Billy Joel is is such a favorite of mine is a lot of that music from that decade, you listen and it's almost hard to hear just because of, you know, how dated it is and how it just how clear it is that it came out in, you know, 1985 or 1983. Um, and he is so the opposite of that. You know, um, basically any of his records could have come out today and i feel like they would just they would be just as 
um, just as useful as they were then. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, one, one other thing that he plays with, we're, we're talking about authenticity and how direct the translations of emotions are here. And um, I think that will, if, if that's your dominating theme, then production is never going to overpower that. And we talked about that last time where production sometimes today is used to, to overcompensate for mediocre songs or bad songs to make them sound good. And he never did that. The songs were always good. He just leaned in these um, different directions for production, which is, that's a really important distinguishing factor, I think. Um, one thing that I love, so looking at this album, of course, Only the Good Die Young, I mean, classic of, that will just live on forever. Um, there's, I, I alluded to contradictions before, and she's always a woman. There's a few Billy Joel songs, not only on this album, but we see it in Miami 2017 um, and a couple of other places where sometimes they'll have these really chipper arrangements and melodies to almost infuse a little lightness into the heaviness of stuff. And I think uh, Only the Good Die Young is such a great example of that. It's so catchy and sing-alongable, but you're, the words you're singing are about Only the Good Die Young. Um, so in, in addition to like the authenticity and the... Um, the overall feeling translating directly. There's also this fun thing that he plays with, with, with this contradictory uh, element of his arrangements going against the, the lyrical message of things sometimes. Have you ever done the same thing I've done and wondered if that was a New York sarcasm kind of constantly, right? Constantly. <laughs> I wonder, you know, we go, we travel, to other places, you know, even within the country. I mean, you only have to travel 200 miles away from this area. And, you know, you go into a, a, a gas station and you make a joke and, and they look at you like you have 10 heads. And um, But that New York sarcasm, um, you know, that iron, it's typically ironic sarcasm. Um, that is something like what, only the good die young, I think that's... That's literally what it screams to me. Um, and that, you know, maybe that could be a reason why, you know, and, and I wonder, you know, are, are people in the tri-state area, um, in the metropolitan area, are they, are they more likely to really relate to Billy Joel um, than, you know, somebody that lives in, in, in Russia? Um, and, He's obviously a worldwide star. Um, so it's not to say that, you know, he's only uh, all his fans live in the tri-state area. But I do wonder with uh, things like uh, Only the Good Die Young, is that something that um, sort of goes over people's heads unless you have lived in this area your whole life and you just kind of giggle because you're like, wow, that's, that's, that's what we do. We do the best that we can to make jokes out of our pain <laughs> in a lot of ways. Absolutely. I think that is definitely uh, a tri-state East coast thing for sure. And like you were saying, you think in terms of, even if something's not set out to be a concept album, um, thinking in terms of albums, I think about, not only is he 
using like this, in my opinion, and your opinion, apparently, <laughs> like this, this New York attitude of like, let me inject some relief so that it's not so dark. I think with these heavier albums, um, because Miami 2017 is on turnstiles, which also not like a super light and fun album by any means. No. That does, in my opinion, does the same thing where it's like very chipper, but, a, you know, an apocalyptic lyrical theme. Um, is he just trying to to project some relief into the album in general because it is dark and heavy? Um, I think about that constantly when I'm listening to him. It's like he's doing this on an individual level and is he doing this on an album wide level too. It's, it's, um, it's kind of a fun question that listeners can kind of answer for himself. I don't think he's ever, uh, let you behind the nylon curtain on that yet. (laughs) So wrapping up as we always do, because I think we've gotten as much juice as we're going to get out of this album for starters. Um, Jason, is there one thing that you want listeners to take away from this episode and band? What is it? Um, I think that if you are a metalhead, which was a much cooler word to use 20 years ago than it is now, <laughs> but if you're like me and they're, they're, the thing that you're most attracted to often is some sort of heavy music, that um, you should certainly take a break for a second and and really dig into Billy Joel because um, I think that you would be pleasantly surprised. Is there any particular one album or one song that people should absolutely listen to of Billy Joel's? Wow. <laughs> Loaded question, I know. Wow. Um, I think, you know, when you asked me about Billy Joel and I, I chose this, I think I would have to say today, I would have to say, um, I would I would have to say the stranger, um, but I would say that if you've listened to the stranger but you haven't listened to Nylon Curtain, which we mentioned a little bit earlier, and you um, mentioned again with a quip, if you will, um, the yeah, I would say if you've listened to the stranger and you get it then go and listen to Nylon Curtain because I think there are a lot of people that haven't listened to that all the way through. And that is a, and, and I would say on that record, I would say check out Scandinavian Skies because that's another one that maybe you haven't heard. That's really funny because the next question is, what is an underrated song or album by this band? Which I think you actually just answered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, I, I think that Nylon Curtain has, has pretty much for my whole life been been the one that I always was like, you know, we always liked, especially as musicians, we always like to, you know, oh, you know, I have this record, you know, this, this thing that, that not everybody loves that, you know, that I know is this diamond in the rough. And, you know, uh, and I think that, that nylon curtain has always been that way for me because people talk turnstiles and people talk piano man and people talk, um, uh, stranger, uh, but you don't hear that many people talk, about Nylon Curtain. And yeah, I would I would call that an underrated record, definitely. Are there any songs or albums by Billy Joel that you just can't stand? I don't know if I would go as far as to say can't stand, but I will say, like, We Didn't Start the Fire, it's a very, I have a very difficult relationship with that song. Because 
I and that entire album, I forget what that album is called even because I I like purposely didn't buy it. Um and when I say it's a difficult relationship because it is such a hooky song with such an incredible uh melody. Uh, and maybe it's just because of how huge it was. I believe I was either still in high school or just getting out of high school when it came out. And it was, I mean, you couldn't get away from it. It was everywhere. It was everywhere. And when I actually take the time to to um, take a look at the lyrics and think about what he did to make that that song, it it's it's very it's it's very cool. And it's um, and it's witty and it's intelligent and all those things. But um, I don't know. It just gives me this odd feel. I, I, I'm, I very, you'll never see me put that on. I have a complicated relationship with this song too. And that anytime I hear it, all I can think about is the episode of The Office where Ryan started the fire. So <laughs> a little bit different, um, but <laughs> completely understandable. Um, well, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much for this conversation, Jason. I love Billy Joel, and I loved uh, talking about authenticity and music with you today. And thank you to everybody who listened today. See you next week, guys.